Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This little old episode of Grass Talk Radio is sponsored by me, myself, and I. And in particular, this episode is sponsored by my mandolin treasure chest package of 24 video lessons and 10 ebooks and i can't remember how many total pages in pdf form of tab and notation and and tracks i can't even remember all the amount that's in it but the, the reason i want to mention this is i send out a once a month email Ostensibly, it is a newsletter for my students, and you can go to bradleylaird.com and hit contact, and you'll find a little sign-up thing there. And I've pledged to only send one email per month. But, um, you know, that's probably why I'm not the world's greatest marketer. In each email the monthly newsletter, I mention anything new I might have created. Many times I'm talking about, you know, the latest podcast I did and, you know, why you might want to listen to it. Or I'm offering a discount on one of my products or something like that. It's it's a little short and sweet once a month um, newsletter and my one little marketing effort. But what's funny is, so I do that once a month. But boy, do I get the emails from everybody else in the business. (laughs) And once again, I got a a wonderful offer from, I will not name who who it is. And I've received this offer, gosh, I don't know how many times I've received emails. And I don't want to call it spam because, hey, they're, you know, everybody's got to eat and they're trying to make a living too. I get it. I get it, and they, I'm sure they have a much larger operation and more mouths to feed than I do. But, see, I feel guilty when I send out one email a month. And, anyway, I got um, this email just reminding me that I can save $100 off of signing up for their their magnificent course. And I'm sure it's very good. I'm not knocking, I'm not comparing the courses. But I'm thinking, man... Save a hundred, you can buy the mandolin treasure chest for a hundred, one hundred dollars, and get basically eighteen months to two years worth of the content that I would teach a private lesson student, and in a form that you can watch or read as many times as you want or need to. So that's the mandolin treasure chest, hands down, it's the best mandolin instruction material for the money in the world. I say that with a clean, clear conscience. I think I'm telling the truth. So if you're interested in that, and even if you've bought a couple of my eBooks or videos before, you still may save so much money by buying the, the, that whole package that it, it still may be worth going ahead and getting it. Anyway, all you have to do is go to Bradley Laird dot com slash treasure that's it 
and you'll find out all about it. Or just go to bradleylaird.com, slide down, and poke around the mandolin materials, and you will eventually be presented with it. Also, I'll put a, a link in the show notes um, page for this episode. I actually did a, an entire bonus episode talking all about it, so just go back and look through the, the, the episodes marked bonus. And one of them, I talk for an hour about, well, maybe not an hour, but I talk and fully describe, you know, my, my reasoning and my logic and everything that's contained within this mandolin treasure chest. So that's our, that's our commercial plug that you have to endure for this episode. I'm also proud to say that I've had pretty good support with the Patreon patrons. And I said last week that I didn't have the list of names in front of me. And once again, I'm going on a first name basis only because me and the patrons are so close. We're on a first name basis. Actually, I just don't want to say their last name unless they say it's okay. And so anyway, I just want to rattle off to you the names of the people who have gone to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and made a recurring monthly contribution to keep this show going. And that would be Ben, Brandon, Charlie, Craig, DJ, Drew, Frank, Gina, Lori, Mark, Pat, I always call him good old Pat, and two Toms. I have two Toms, Tom C and Tom K, and you both know who you are. Look, I appreciate all of you so much. It, you know, I've mentioned in the past how sometimes I think, you know, why am I doing this? We all think that about things we do in our lives. I I know you think that sometimes about the things you're doing. And um, all I have to do to be reminded of why I'm doing it is to look at that list and say, well, now I sort of owe them. But I would like to remind those of you who are um, enjoying the podcast, just remember, thank the patrons. And also, of course, thank anybody who purchases any of my materials over at BradleyLaird.com. Okay, enough of that commercial talk, but let's, let's face it, you know, we live in an economic system that requires money and doing this. You know what I was thinking one time? If I was a millionaire, I could do this and, and just give everything away for free. You know, I could just do it all for free. But then I got to thinking, but if I was a millionaire, would I do that? Not because I don't want to give it away for free, but maybe there's some other things I'd rather be doing. You know, you're probably that way too. Okay, let's get to the heart of this episode. This is part two. Part one was called Recording Basics, where I rambled and talked about recording. This time I'm going to try to get down to some more specifics and... If you're that person who listened to that one and thought, well, I, you know, I'm not really into the recording. I have, there's no good reason for me to do that right now or whatever. Well, I apologize. I will get back to some other topics next week. But I want to begin by 
stating some things that I probably have said in some past episodes. I often wonder what I've said in past episodes, and frankly, I don't have the time to go back and listen to them. But uh, I'm sure at some point, I think I did one called Why We, Why we Record. And I just want to begin this episode by mentioning some of the reasons for recording. You might want to record your own personal practice. I think you should from time to time. Maybe not too much. It's sort of like standing in a mirror. Once in a while, you ought to look in the mirror and just, you know. But too much of that, you know, could become narcissistic. Or you could just get really down on yourself if you, you know, you could begin to avoid the mirrors. So but that's a reason to get an honest appraisal of, you know, more or less how you're, how you're sounding, how you're doing. How's your rhythm when you stand aside and listen to yourself play on that tape recorder? That's one. Uh, the next sort of level up in purposes for recording would be to maybe record a tune at a jam session so that you can remember it, so you can go home and, and listen to it again, you know, and work on it. You know, let's say somebody plays a tune that you don't know and you go, man, that's really cool. And you pull out your recorder and you record it so that you can go home and figure out the chords to it or practice singing harmony to the person's lead or working up your banjo solo or whatever. So as a little mobile um, note-taking device, you might say, because you can't remember everything that happens at a jam or a rehearsal or even a gig, you know. Now, when you get into rehearsals and gigs, the... You know, it gets a little more specific. But what I'm talking about here is you're not trying to make a recording that you're ever going to release out to anyone. It's just a recording that serves the purpose of documenting what happened so you can remember it later. Uh, I think I did an episode called Documenting Your Progress, which talks somewhat about these things. Okay. You may be in a band and you may want to record rehearsals um, just so you can kind of take a, you know, an outsider's view of how is that, how's that working? You know, what's really happening here? Because when you're busy doing it in real time, often you don't really hear everything. Uh, listen to the real listening episode where I talk somewhat about the uh, challenge of really hearing everything that's going on. I, I don't know that it's even possible all the time. Then there are, you're in a band and you're playing gigs and you just, once again, want to analyze after the fact, you know. And, and you, may, you may pick it apart and find lots of flaws in what was going on and you can learn from that. So that's a purpose. Everything up to that point can be done with fairly simple recording technology. doesn't require, I mean, you could just grab your iPhone or your iPod, or you could have a, go down to Walmart and buy a $29 cassette tape recorder. Believe it or not, they still sell them. Stick a cassette tape in there and 4C batteries and hit record. I mean, that would work too. Because it's just record and playback. That's it. You're not doing anything fancy with it. You can do all the things I just mentioned with that type of entry-level recording technology. Then your purpose might move into, well, you've got this song. 
and you want to make a demo of it. Maybe you wrote a, a mandolin instrumental and you want your fiddle player to learn it, so you record it and you give him a copy of it. Because, you know, at rehearsal it just went by him and he didn't have time to fool with it. You say, well, here's a copy of it. Take it home. That's demoing your song. On, on a high level, you know, you might make, you might be a songwriter and you're hoping, you know, some big bluegrass star will record your song. So you put together a demo recording of it to try to impress them with what a great song it is. Now we're, you know, we're moving up in the technological ladder. I will admit you can make some great demos just by turning on that simple tape recorder. I mean, if you got a great song, it's going to, in theory, it should still be great no matter what, how you record it. But it's, it's sort of like how you dress. I mean, you know, you want to put your best foot forward when you go for a job interview. You don't want to wear the t-shirt the with the bacon grease on it. Um, won't talk about bacon grease right now. Um, you might want to make a, a song demo just, you know, for your other band members or somebody in the jam that you're like, here, here's a copy of it, you know. You might want to make a band demo. And this is sort of a, it's it doesn't rise to the level of a commercial recording. You, you know, you do want it to be as good as possible. But the purpose of the band demo is to, you know, somebody comes to your Facebook page or your website and you're talking all about yourself and there's pictures and stuff, but they want to hear you. And I think it would be wise at this point to consider many of these things could also be handled with video recording. Pretty much everything I talked to talked about up to this point, maybe video is just as good and maybe better. You know, if I were putting together a band website today, I would definitely want some videos on there, you know. So perhaps video, simple video recording, it obviously captures audio too. Maybe that would suffice for what you're doing. Then you're moving up into the next rung of the ladder and that's something you know more closely resembling some sort of commercial product like you're gonna sell a track maybe just one song on itunes or or you're going to assemble some things together into an ep or a cd or maybe it's all just downloadable i mean how it's distributed isn't really relative but the idea here is that you're mimicking the commercial recording world. So you're really trying for, you know, highest possible quality within your budget. And even little funky bluegrass bands have product and people buy it. You know, they sit there and they, let's just take a band that, let's say on a scale from one to 10 is... A six and a half. Maybe some songs there, maybe a seven. That's that's a pretty good band. And they're playing gigs. They're playing festivals. They're playing parties. They're doing, you know, but they're not Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. Or they're not, you know, you get what I'm saying? And they're not just a bunch of jammers, you know, hanging out at a noisy beer joint. They're somewhere in the middle. Audiences like that stuff. Go to a bluegrass festival, maybe a small bluegrass festival, and you'll find that 
half the bands are super good and the other half are pretty darn good. Well, it's those pretty darn good bands I'm talking about. And it helps to have product to sell. It can, you know, the pretty good band, he's not getting paid as much as the super big time band. So it helps make up the difference and it can help fund the operation of your band and travel and and frankly if there are people out there clapping and cheering for what you're doing those same people might also purchase the cd just to support you and to they may really like it you know what i'm saying i mean we're not this isn't like you're not thinking about winning a grammy and you're not solely thinking about well how can i get 10 bucks out of that guy's pocket you're providing a service. It's a memento of your band. Now, obviously you want these things to be as good as you can make them, but within your limitations of budget and perhaps even talent. But there's no reason not to pursue that. You should. <laughs> and I, I've got, I have just got so many records and CDs that I've picked up from other bands that you know, they're pretty good. And sometimes there are a couple of tunes on there that I just love. And, you know, record them. Do it. And it really helps sell your band if you can hand somebody a CD. Or, you know, point them to your website where all the tracks are. You know, and they can just click on them and listen to them. So those are... Possible reasons all the way from just you want to hear how you're sounding on your banjo to, you know, you want to put some product in somebody's hand. Those are all valid reasons. Let's now talk about some real fundamentals of recording because I'm going to be mentioning these things. I'm going to talk about four basic scenarios, you might say, for, you know, making a recording. And they all, all four, involve these fundamentals. And fundamental number one is input. That obviously starts with the, music, the musicians and singers themselves, but I'm talking about, okay, now let's get into the technology. It begins with mics or just a microphone. You know, if you use that little, you hit record on, you know, your iPod or something, there's a microphone in there. So that's the input. The sound wave is captured and turned into electrical signals. Input varies with these different scenarios. Even, even if you're using like your iPhone to record, you potentially can plug a, an external microphone into it. A better quote unquote microphone. So think about the input. Then there's the recording device itself. What is this contraption that is going to take that input and store it? Which brings us to the third thing. You've got the recording device and you've got the storage medium or storage method, which has varied a lot. I talked about wire recorders and tape recorders and and hard disk obviously hard drives are a potential storage medium for the sound that you capture by the recording device 
But I also mentioned you could still use tape. So tape is a potential storage medium. So is digital, so are digital files on hard disks or on solid state drives, which are becoming extremely common today. And you could even consider a little thing like an SD card to be basically a, a miniature solid state drive. In fact, I have today, I have laying around on this table, um, SD cards that are a hundred times the size of the hard drive that came with my first Macintosh computer. You know, I'm just picked this one up. It's an eight gigabyte, which was considered small, eight gigabyte SD card. And my first Macintosh computer had a 40 megabyte hard drive. So you've got your input stage, you've got the recording device itself, you've got the storage medium, and then you've got mixing and output. Because if you just grab up the, you know, the $29 cassette recorder or the $5 cassette recorder, just the little portable thing, you, you know, got the little handle that pulls out on the end and it's battery operated, or a little, one of these little digital voice recorders that you can buy for 25 bucks at a drugstore or at Walmart, you know, little, like you see people, you're having a meeting and they set it out on the table and hit record. That could, that could suffice for what you're trying to do, potentially. Built into that one little device is pretty much all of these things. It's got input. It's got some kind of a microphone. It is the recording device. It's got storage, either built in or external or even in the cloud, potentially. And then output. Well, the output of, a, of an old-fashioned, you know, portable cassette recorder was the speaker that's built into it. When you hit play, it comes out, and there is your output. You had other options. Sometimes there was an auxiliary out, and you could plug a wire into it and plug it into your stereo and just use a bigger amplifier to play the output. But when it came down to if you wanted to distribute that cassette tape, you had to duplicate the tape, which meant either getting two tape recorders or a double cassette deck or something like that. But you need to think about what is the final form and is that important to you? Are you intending to create a CD and potentially create a, a master that you send off for duplication or that you duplicate yourself, you know, burn five CDs a week and sell them at your gig at the Mexican restaurant? Or are you just going to make, turn the final mixes into MP3 tracks that you're going to put on your website and you're going to stick on, you know, wherever, all over the internet? Or are you just going to listen back? And that's all you plan to do. If you're just going to listen back, really all you need is a headphone jack or just, you know, something with a speaker on it. So you don't have to worry over those things. So now let's look at what I consider to be the four basic setup tiers or levels. Number one is what I just call a simple recorder. And I've been talking about that already. I've talked about these little digital voice recorders which most of them have ghastly sound, but you know, they do record. Um, I would frankly rather have a, have one of them $29 cassette 
recorders. I think they have better audio fidelity than most of these little voice recorders. But I have not tried them all out, so there may be some really good. You could for under fifty bucks, they sell these little digital voice recorders, and it's basically just a little got a mic, got a recorder, stores it on some kind of a card, and got a maybe a little tiny speaker and probably a headphone jack. If you look at them, you may find that some of them have auxiliary inputs where you can plug an external microphone in. And that opens up the possibility to have outboard microphones, which we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to mention, as far as just a simple standalone recorder, the beauty of that is mobility. You can take it to a practice. You can take it to a jam. You can carry it in your pocket at a festival. You can take it to a gig and set it on the stage. You know, you portability comes with simplicity. You know, if you, you can outfit your, build yourself a home studio in your basement and you can't carry that to a gig. That's all I'm saying. So sometimes simple is best. Let me make sure my recorder is still running. Yes, it is. Uh, the screensaver blanks the screen out, and I don't know if it's doing anything or not. Okay, and just, just to uh, let you know, um, I used for many of the episodes a Zoom H2 digital recorder, and it, it had uh, four microphones in it, good sound of microphones, but it also had the ability to plug in an external sound source, so I could actually use a mixer and and then just use the recorder to record that thing unfortunately bit the dust but they have a new version of that one out called the zoom h2n and that little thing cost about 150 175 bucks so that's kind of what you're looking at if you step up from just using your voice recorder on your iphone or from the really dirt cheap you know digital voice recorder or cassette tape machine something like that there are others there, there. If you go on Amazon and just search for digital portable recorder, you're gonna f- see the whole array. Another one that I considered buying at one time was the Tascam DR05. DR05 sells for about ninety bucks, and it's records in stereo, and you know saves the files digitally and. Most of these things, like the Zoom and the and the Tascam, will have a USB port, so you can plug it into your computer and transfer the files over there, so that then you can distribute and save them as MP3s and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of the the investment price point. You know, you can buy one of these standalone recorders for hundred under two hundred dollars and do a lot of things with them and they're far superior in audio quality to like the little digital you know voice recorder that's meant for like taking notes in your college class or something you know okay so that's kind of on the low end the next stage up that's number one tier a simple recorder with built-in microphones step two Moving up would be to add in the ability to have outboard mics, either one or more. So if any of those recording devices 
has an auxiliary mic input or just an aux input, then that opens up the door to use a wide array of microphones. And because I've been playing in bands for so long, I have a wide array of microphones. And of course I had home studio too, so I've got some things that I used only in the studio and a lot of mics that you know we used on stage. And, and I still do use on stage. So you're not limited by the microphone that is built in. So if you're thinking you might ever use some additional microphones, you know, look for the feature of auxiliary input or external mic input. Now, obviously, you have to feed it the kind of mic it wants to see. And typically, those mic inputs on a little digital recorder are simply an audio line in jack, usually a little eighth inch jack. But it doesn't care what you what you have in front of that. You could have a one microphone going into a little one channel mixer and come out of the mixer and into the recorder. That's how simple it could be. That's basically what I used to do with the H2 in doing this podcast. But you could also have a 16 channel mixer with 16 microphones all blended together and then go through the little cable into the recorder. And, and most of those recorders, the, the higher end ones like the Zoom and the Tascams and stuff, are stereo recorders. So they're recording a left and right channel. So you could have, you know, 16 microphones going through a mixer and then take the stereo signal from the mixer and feed it into that little recorder and make some pretty amazing recordings. So consider the ability to utilize outboard microphones, or we could just say sound signals, because you might want to, let's say you had a, one of these little stereo recorders, you might want to record a jam track on the left track. And then you might want to go back later and record yourself playing your mandolin or something on the right track while you listen to the pre-recorded track. And then you're kind of getting into multi-tracking. Okay, step three, moving up the ladder, are what I call self-contained multi-track. You might even call them, it was a brand name, uh, Porta Studio. But a self-contained multi-track recorder. Because the recorders I was talking about before the things like the Zoom and the Tascam DR-05, those aren't really multi-track recorders. Yes, there's a left and right track, but they're stereo recorders. When you've got a multi-track, now you may have a whole lot more tracks. And I pulled up a couple of examples. Um, there is Tascam has one called the DP-008. It is eight tracks so you can record eight different sound signals and then mix them on output later so you can put the guitar on track one the mandolin on track two you know the banjo on track three the lead vocal on four and so on and so on and so on and just keep building and then you've got all those 
you know, master tracks and you can mix them for output and create all sorts of different possible combinations in terms of output. You could, you could mix it a thousand different ways is what I'm saying. So that's the, the self-contained multi-track. Usually they have a mixer section, so you can just plug mics directly into them. They, they act like a mixer, so you don't really have to have a, a secondary mixer in between your mic and your recorder. Most of them, you just plug the mics into them, and it has a mixer section. Then it has the recorder section, and then it has the storage medium, which could be, in the case of the old one that I used to use, well, I had a cassette one at one point, but the old Boss BR-8 used 100 megabyte zip drives, zip disks. And unfortunately, the zip, the zip drive was so noisy that, you know, you had to have the machine in a, in a different room or pretty far away. Today, if it's got an internal hard drive, that's a lot quieter. And if it's solid state, if it's recording directly to SD card or something like that, you'll have no sound, which is nice when you're just sitting in front of it doing your thing. Or, or you got musicians just in one room. But these little self-contained Porta Studios, self-contained multi-tracks, they, they range from, I've seen them as low as 100 bucks. The, maybe it was like a four track and you could record four distinct tracks and then mix them and play them back an eight track you know this Tascam dp 008 250 um and just for comparison i looked at a a complete a Tascam 24 track basically does the same thing as the eight but it's just will do a whole lot more tracks 500 bucks so that's kind of the range you're, you're looking at if you want to get your self-contained, all-in-one box mini studio, you might say, which is the mixer, the recorder, the storage device. And then, of course, it uses the mixer on the way out when you want to output your final stereo left-right mixes, which ultimately that's probably your goal is to have some kind of finished song because you could, it, it's important to remember that, that the final product has to be playable by the person that you give it to. And nearly anyone can play a stereo audio track, be it a WAV file or an MP3 or whatever. Everybody's got that capability in their car, in their iPod, whatever. But if you recorded onto, let's say, an eight in an eight track digital format and you've got that file, well, that thing may only be playable on that machine. Probably is only playable on that machine. Like those zip disks that I could eject out of that boss multi-track recorder. If I gave it to somebody, they, well, they couldn't do anything with it unless they also had a Boss BR-8 that they could jam it into, and, and then it would be a copy of, you know, what I had. So at some point, you've got to mix the things down to some sort of output format that can be shared with the world. And most of these little self-contained studio-type things that I'm talking about that are in this, you know, $250 to $500 
and up range, they have that ability built into them. So you can take all those 24 tracks that you recorded and maybe perhaps over the course of several months, and then you can mix it down to a two track stereo file and export it, you know, and put it on a disc or, or put it on a thumb drive or send it by wire over to your computer so that you can put it out to the world. Okay, so that's the third level. Now, some of these are small enough. You know, the little four tracks and even the eight tracks are fairly small, so there is a degree of portability. So if you got a little more money to burn and you do think you might want to actually do some multi-track recording, then you might consider one of these little small, compact multi-tracks like that Tascam DP008. I'm not trying to sell that thing. There are probably a hundred devices that are similar. Um, but they're still small enough. You could carry them around to a gig. You, you could carry them to a, to a festival. Some of them even operate on battery power. So consider that. Some of them, it's both ways. It's battery or you plug in the wall wart. But some of the bigger ones like that 24-track uh, Tascam is getting a little big. It's becoming a big surface thing that, you know, fairly big and it's not the kind of thing you'd want to carry around too much and they get even bigger some of them by the way have um, cd burners in them and all kind of ports and it's really fun and it's fascinating stuff to mess with because you can learn a lot about the recording process even if you never use it to produce any kind of commercially viable recordings you can learn a lot about the process so that when you do walk it in walk into a studio maybe you got a little better idea of what's going on you know okay the fourth phase and i save this for fourth maybe not because it's most expensive but because it's the most complicated and that is to use a computer as the recording device instead of a standalone you know you could have that one of those little Tascam 8-track, multi-track recorders and not even own a computer. But most of us have computers. So if you've got a Windows machine or you've got a Macintosh, you can use the computer to record. I'm doing that right now as we speak, doing this podcast. I am recording to a Macintosh. So... In my case right now, the Macintosh is acting as the recording device and the storage device, and it will act as the mixer and the output device when I finish and when I edit this thing and create the file that I upload that you're now listening to. You can do all that with a computer. The reason it's I mean, you could say it's more expensive if you consider the cost of the computer. I mean, you know, you go out, price a new Macintosh, they're pretty expensive. Or, or a good laptop. You know, you're looking at a few hundred bucks. But it has many, many purposes. You can watch Netflix on it, and you can go to YouTube on it, and you can do your email, and, you know. So it has multiple uses, obviously. But computers are perfectly capable of doing what those self-contained units do. 
they're not just built for it. So you sort of have to figure out how to do it yourself. Here's the basics of using a recorder. I mean, using a computer as your recorder. Obviously, sometimes there's little software in the computer where you can just record audio and it's using the little built-in microphone. You know, let's say on a laptop, there's that little pinhole. Well, that's your microphone. That's what you use when you're calling somebody on Skype or something. I did one episode. I don't remember which one it was, but I was having some technical problems and I recorded an episode using the internal mic one time. If you can find that, you can hear you know, the relative quality of the audio is not as good. But if you move up from that and just use the computer as the recorder and the storage device, you need software. Well, you, you also need input. You need a way to get the audio into the computer. And these days, by far, the most common way is to use a USB port on the computer as your input source and that leaves you with the choice if you're trying to get audio into the computer and you're going to let's say use usb there were other options well let me just back up just a few years almost all computers had a microphone input jack and they're beginning to go away this particular Mac that I'm using right now does not have a mic input jack, but my older one that's four years older, it does have a mic input jack. So if you got a mic input jack, it simplifies things a little bit. Because a mic input jack, you can just take your microphone, go into your mixer, plug it into the mic input jack, and the analog to digital conversion happens inside the computer. The computer is your AD converter that I talked about last last episode. But if you're just going USB, you've got to be digital already. So you, you will need an analog to digital converter like this little Euphoria UM2 device that I've talked about made by Behringer. Um, you will need some sort of way to convert analog to digital if you're going in the USB port. So that adds cost. Also adds a lot of options. Now there are two basic ways you can do that. You can just buy a standalone USB microphone. And they make some pretty good ones. And they make some not so good ones. You know, uh, gamers, online gamers use them a lot. A typical headset with a little boom microphone on it, you know, a headset microphone combination, they're USB mics. They don't sound that good, not compared to the kind of quality most musicians are used to hearing. My suggestion is to think about the standalone USB converter, AD converter, so that you can use the same mics to perform with as you use to record with. It's going to give you a lot more flexibility. If you put all your money into a high quality USB mic, you're not going to be able to carry it to a gig and plug it into the PA system. I mean, maybe, maybe now there are boards that will do that, but there's no point of having the AD converter inside the microphone when you're sitting there with a computer that will do the AD conversion. 
or if you've got a little simple standalone AD converter box. Okay, so just bear in mind, I'm getting off into the weeds here a little bit, is that if you go computer-based, you've got to have a way to get the signal digital so that the computer can deal with it. Then the next thing yet you have to have is some sort of software. It could be as simple as GarageBand on a Macintosh. Simple and somewhat crude and goofy. But GarageBand will do it. You can, you can do this with GarageBand. Or you can go with some sort of uh, free software such as Audacity. That's what I'm using right now on this Mac. I've got versions of it on several old computers around here. Audacity is a good way to get started doing this. And it's available for pretty much any platform. Uh, certainly Mac and Windows. It might even be available for the Raspberry Pi. Um, that's a good way to get in and get started. You can do multi-track recording. You can do mixing, you know, editing, all that kind of stuff. It's got plenty of effects built into the software for adding reverb and compression and, uh, you know, volume adjustments and fade outs and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a good way to not spend any money other than your mic and your input source and start doing some recording. So I do recommend that you scope out Audacity. If you really are getting serious about this and you're thinking about producing something that resembles a commercial product, there's a lot of commercial software. I'm just going to rattle off some names. There's uh, Cakewalk. It's called Cakewalk Sonar. Ableton Live. Uh, Cubase. which Steinberg Cubase. There's Avid Pro Tools. That's probably the most popular digital audio workstation software there is. Pro Tools. And there are plenty of others. Those you're going to have to buy or you're going to buy in certain levels. You're going to, they may have, like there's a free version of Pro Tools. It's, it's a very rudimentary introductory but the, you know, the workspace and the way everything's laid out works the same. The, you know, the workflow, you might say. So you can get that and play around with it. A lot of them have uh, free trials where, you know, you can try it for 90 days. And if you, it may limit some features, like you might not be able to export a file. But to unlock all the abilities, then you have to pay. But if you really, really want to get serious about recording, that's probably the way to go. Um, you know, get yourself some good software and you'll have a lot more capabilities. I'm going to close this one out with, um, if you, it's sort of a word of caution. Uh, recording can be addictive. Just fooling with all this stuff for certain personality types. If you're the type of person who would actually look through a seven-volume manual on how to operate certain software, then this is your cup of tea, and you will, you'll have a lot of fun with it. But if you're the type that just wants to, you know, buy the little Zoom H2, pull it out of the box, stick some batteries in there, and hit record, um, 
I mean, that, that will work. But there's a 150-page manual that comes with that thing. And if you're, what I'm saying is if you're into the sort of technical side of it, then maybe I would suggest, you know, looking at the computer-based or, you know, the self-contained multi-track or going computer-based. If you're not so technically interested, um, just start simple. You know, learn how to make a decent recording with a tape recorder, you know, because, you know, mic placement is important even with a crummy little cassette machine. Uh, and it... It's important no matter how you record. Anyway, just bear in mind that as you get into this stuff, things such as microphones, cables, headphones, playback speakers. What are you going to play this back on? Are you going to play it? You know, you may be recording fabulous audio and you're playing it back on the computer speakers. Or you got, you know, this little outboard set of computer speakers or you're feeding it into your home stereo system or you can start going crazy buying stuff. And it's funny, this thing about playback. It was always my belief that I wanted to hear the final mixes on as many different gizmos and sizes of speakers and so on as possible. I didn't just want to hear it on this super perfect EQ'd set of studio monitors because... The person that you give the CD to, well, they're probably going to play it in their car, and you don't know what they've got in their car with the road noise and stuff, or they may play it in their computer on a one-inch speaker, or worse yet, they play it over their iPhone. Or they may Bluetooth it off to a little Bluetooth speaker, and it's you know got a three-inch speaker in it. Thing is, you don't know what they're going to play it back on, so it helps to listen to it on a lot of devices. Listen to it on a mono device, on a small speaker, and say, can I still hear the bass at all? Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that, but just bear in mind that the deeper you go into this, the deeper you can be drawn into this sticky web, and you can start spending a lot of money on mics and stands and converting a room, you know, putting up sound um treatment let's say and baffles and you know snakes and it just goes on and on and on and it is a lot of fun but it's not for everybody and i think there are a lot of people that a lot of people in bands you know are attracted to these little standalone multi-track portable studios you might say and then they don't really take the time to learn how to use them and they never really produce anything of value off of the thing. So basically they wasted 500 bucks or maybe a thousand bucks time. They bought all the other gizmos and gadgets to go with it. And their time might've been better spent, you know, rehearsing the band, working up better arrangements and then going and hiring a professional to actually record them, you know? So I'm just saying you have to analyze yourself and say, what are you capable of? Do you have the time? Do you have the money uh, to you know, be that person, <laughs> that guy that likes fiddling with these things. I am that kind of person, um, which sometimes has been to my detriment because I would get so into the technology side of things, you kind of lose sight of like the bigger picture, you know. I was sometimes jealous of some of my bandmates who would come over to my home studio 
and they don't even know what I'm doing. Well, they know I'm recording. That's about it. And they know where the refrigerator is. And they tune and they play and they have a great old time and they go home. And then I spend the next 18 hours editing takes, you know, from this session, uh, trying to create something, you know. And anyway, what I'm saying is you got to be the right personality to seriously get into this at the, you know, certainly level three and level four, but levels one and two of just a little portable uh, recording device that you can carry around. I think every musician ought to have that, you know, and uh, I'm kind of on the higher end of that scale, which I didn't talk about, but, you know, level one is just a simple little portable recorder of some kind. And two is using outboard mics. Well, that kind of puts you in the category of like these tapers that, you know, would go to Grateful Dead shows or fish shows and tape, you know, surreptitiously or obviously if it was allowed in the audience. You've seen tapers at shows. That's what they're doing. I mean, and they're using good quality outboard mics and, you know, portable digital recorders. Anyway, recording... Um, has many, many purposes. Thank goodness people have recorded things. Because let's say you're 10 years old today, or let's say, let's use 11 years old like my son. My son is never going to see Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys perform, nor will he ever see Flatt and Scruggs, or nor would he ever hear them if somebody didn't record them. So, same is true for you and your music. It's a way of um, preserving the fact that you even existed, you know? And who knows? You never know what you record, who may listen to it in the future. So I do encourage you to record. Thanks, patrons. Thanks, listeners, just for hanging out and listening. I will ask you, if you're listening, please tell someone else about this podcast. I would appreciate that. Y'all have a great week. I'll be back with a kind of a less technical episode next week. Y'all have a great week. And by the way, um, I'm going to go out on this little weather note. I know how devastating a hurricane can be. Go back through my episodes and talk about when that hurricane, I think it was Irma, tracked right through our county. And I'm sitting here today that uh, Hurricane Dorian is just parked. It was Category 5 yesterday. I think it might be 4 now. Parked uh, right there in the Bahamas and was moving at zero miles an hour. And the reason it's not moving is because this beautiful weather that we're having right here, right now in South Georgia and throughout the Southeast, there's this big high pressure. It is absolutely gorgeous here right now so all those people up the east coast up the atlantic coast can thank this georgia and alabama and tennessee weather for keeping that thing pressed offshore and let's hope that continues for the sake of all the people in savannah and charleston and all the way up through north carolina and if this if if it if we were having rain here right now at a low pressure right now in Georgia, that thing would already be crossing Florida. 
Anyway, y'all pray for those folks down there and hope that thing moves on out to sea. We don't really need a hurricane tearing through here. All right, y'all take care. Talk to you next week. It was 25 years ago when the wings of death came low spread out on the ocean far and wide a great ship sailed away with her passengers that day to never never reach the other side sailing out when her pain the titanic was her name when she had sailed 500 miles from shore many passengers and her crew went down that old canoe They all went down to never ride no more